0: What if everything you thought and believed about successful buying, selling, and financing your home was wrong? Welcome to Homewise with Michael Midget. This is where you can count on straightforward, objective advice on the right way to make the most out of every dollar you put into your home, whether it's buying, selling, or financing, even maintaining and growing its value along the way. Coming to you from the News Talk STL studios at Union Station in St. Louis. You're listening to HomeWise Radio. I'm Stel Pontikas, and I'm joined here in studio by the creator and host of the show, Michael Midget. Michael, great to see you, buddy. Hey, Stel, how you doing? Good, Doing well, my friend. We're
1: going to be talking more about strategy today. You know, that's sort of an underlying theme uh, to each show, the way I approach things. Um, actually, the show as a whole, you know, thinking of your personal residence as uh, I call it the epicenter of your personal financial picture. You know, it's where you live. It's your biggest bill every month or it's likely your biggest bill every month. It's your largest investment. And it's also like uh, the place most likely uh, most of your net worth will end up at or near retirement. So that makes it a big deal. That makes it important. If we know about that going in, we can make better decisions about how we handle and treat that asset as we go along. And what I found just from personal experience being in this business for 31 years is that people... Well, they spend more time planning their vacation than they plan the financing for the most expensive thing that they're likely ever going to buy in their house. Not necessarily talking about just a single house, but as a house as a whole, they're over their entire life because you have to live somewhere. So you're either going to buy that somewhere or you're going to rent that somewhere. Uh, there's no escaping that cost. And so since it's our biggest one, it makes it significant. The better job we can do of managing that um, we wind up with more money in our pocket. And so that's like the idea of the whole show. So um, this is what I'm teaching to uh, people. And this is what I also want to instill in you. So as we go along, you have some sense of what we're what we're talking about, as well as all the listeners of the show. So um, we're talking about strategy. So... Um, There are multiple strategies that I use. Um, I've talked about some of them. We're going to revisit some of them today. I'm going to give you a new one and how I use them. But before that, um, if you remember last week, we were talking about interest rates for the whole, you know, you know, for the whole show. Well, this past week, the Fed came out and basically reaffirmed, uh, mostly everything that I was saying, um, regarding their stance on fighting inflation, um, basically at all costs. Okay. So, they're going to continue hiking rates. And the expectation was moving into this year that they would start to back off, which they did, um, and that they would continue to back off. And the hope was that somewhere around mid-year towards the end of this year, they would be finished hiking. Well, now, based on the new data that's come in and now they've reaffirmed this for a second meeting in a row, is that um, it's likely not going to, Stop hiking this year. They're going to continue to hike. And, um, but what's more important and the reason why you're seeing rates trend up and not continue to trend down like they had been earlier in the year is that we broke that trend. Okay. But the expectation is that they're not going to back off. That they're likely to not only continue hiking, but, um, increase the rate at which they hike compared to, what they uh what we believed they were going to do earlier in the year. So that breaks the trend. Rates are always forward looking. They're looking forward into the trend. And they have to balance out for that uh, for that expected inflation rate. And so um, basically the bottom line is if you were planning on next year's refi, we 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 might still get there. I don't know because the data could turn around and it could come back, but the way it's looking right now, That's not what I would want my plan to be, and need that like wholeheartedly need that. Okay, and that's what I. That's when I. When you hear me talk about temporary buy downs, and I'm kind of negative about them. Not negative about them in and of themselves. They're just another tool. All right, we're going to distinguish between tools and strategies a little later on in the show today. Um, But it's just a tool. Used right, used properly, it can be the right tool, and it's a powerful tool. But what I hear a lot is it's used improperly. It's used as a crutch or something that's needed to bridge a, you know, a payment excess on what's comfortable. So it's comfortable with the buy down, but it's not comfortable without the buy down. Oh, but we will just refinance it next year or the year after that or, you know, or whenever. Well, I hope I hope that works, but hope's not a great strategy when it comes to finances, when it comes to investments and when it comes to your home. So um I would just be cautious when you're approaching when you're approaching those, okay? But I do have some good news. All right? Uh FHA has come out and said they're going to reduce the monthly mortgage insurance premium on their mortgage insurance. All right? So um if you remember when we did the show on uh PMI private mortgage insurance, FHA is not PMI, but it's that's a general slang term used to uh refer to all types of mortgage insurance. Um FHA has two two uh two types of that. You pay an upfront cost when you take out the loan, and then you pay uh a monthly cost as you make payments on the loan. So they hit you <laughs> they hit you coming, coming in and they get you going, right? Uh whereas conventional it's one or the other. Um, but the good news is, so the upfront is staying the same at 1.75%. That can be financed in a loan, so it's not out of your pocket, but it does add to the loan amount, which adds to the payment in that. Um, but the monthly version of that um, is going down. It's going down significantly. Okay, So it was, in most cases, it's 80 to 85 basis points, which means uh, 0.8 or 0.85% of the loan amount. Over the course of a year, so you take that number divided by 12, and that's roughly what would get added to your monthly mortgage payment. Okay? That 80 or 85 factor is going down to 50 to 55. So that's like a 30%-ish drop. Okay, that's, that's significant. Okay? So now it's a half to .55% times the loan amount divided by 12, that's what gets added there. So, um, that can be a nice, a nice reduction. Okay? Um, the other thing that um, I was going to bring in, and this, and and so this sort of this feeds into the overlying subject for today, right? So we were, so you know, so we were talking strategies. People tend to focus on interest rate as their strategy. What's your strategy? I'm going to get the best loan I can. Well, what's that mean? Well, I'm going to get the lowest rate, you know, or the lowest payment, or whatever you know whatever i think is the is you know is the best way to go and that's okay it doesn't mean you're getting a bad loan but going back to the original core uh piece of the show um, financing has a lot to do with the ultimate cost that you pay for a property all right so that means that it has a uh a large effect on the amount of equity that you're going to have in a property when you look at it. When you look at it over time, so the better job you do financing it, theoretically, the better job you're going to have at accumulating equity over time. Because when you reduce that cost, it turns into it turns into equity. Um, we do focus on rates, but first we focus on strategy. Rate is not a strategy in and of itself. It's a term used to evaluate a strategy. So we don't discount it, but we do. Uh, we don't want to lead, lead with that, all right? So the point that I want to make is um, we're hearing about rates, okay? And oh, rates are going up, rates are going down. Am I in the market? Am I out of the market? And we're making a decision based on, based on rates, which rate doesn't have a large enough effect on the equation to make buying or owning a property a bad decision, Okay it does adjust the cost, but long term over time if you have a long enough hold time and I generally say it's roughly five years or more um, usually you're going to win, okay there are no guarantees in any of this and anything in life so um, you know if you are going to... Try to choose one loan over another uh, based on rates or rates in the environment. That's where you can get into trouble. All right. So um, when we're talking about uh, the interest rates, so I just said FHAs are going down. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, here's another piece. Okay. Um, conventionals, not only are they going up, like the market is getting worse for that, which the market affects both government and conventional loans, not equally, but in a similar way, because they're different bond markets. Um, but conventional are, is getting some, uh, they're called loan level pricing adjustments, LLPAs. Um, they are adjustments made on a per loan basis based on the, uh, based on the features of that loan. So when an investor is looking at a loan and assessing its features, I mean things like what's the credit score, what was the down payment, what's the size of the loan, uh, what's the debt ratio, things like that. Okay. So basically underwriting features. Certain loans with certain features are going to have different adjustments made to them when they're delivered. Okay. Which means and that those adjustments are factored into the initial pricing on the loan. Okay. So generally we're going to see those uh, for the most popular buckets or FICO and LTV combinations, we're going to see those get more expensive for some reason, right? Those are the good loans, but those are getting more expensive. The ones that are around, uh, when I say around the fringes, okay, or the ones that are more risky, so the lower credit scores and the and the uh, lower down payments are getting less expensive than they have been. Okay. And this kind of plays into the, uh, the overall theme of what's going on with FHA also. FHA, uh, generally requires a lower credit profile, um, than what a conventional loan does. So if you've had credit challenges, if you have a lower score or something, FHA becomes more of an option when that's, when that's the case. So on both sides, we have a push towards I guess reducing the costs for less or lesser qualified people doesn't mean bad people, it doesn't mean bad loans, doesn't mean good loans anything that it's just factual basis the way that these are getting looked at, okay? And it might be so it might be easy to look at this and say like, "Oh, okay, well, you know, since that one's going up and this one's going down, maybe I should go with the with the loan that's going down." All right? And that in this case might be the FHA loan. But when you look at the cost as a whole, okay, um, you might end up paying more for that even though the loan has a lower interest rate on it because some of the costs are different, mm. right? So you just have to see where it falls. And that's why I say we go back to, we don't lead with a rate, we don't lead with a particular loan type. We look at strategy first. And that means we're asking questions. And that means we are assessing goals and seeing the resources that we have to work with. And, um, how all of that works together, fits together. And if the goal is to minimize the cost of buying, factor all that together and see which one gives the most minimal or the least, you know, the least amount of cost over the term of the loan. Cause that's gonna, uh, be the bottom figure for, uh, calculating that equity. Alright? Over time. So, um, it's not just as simple as shopping for a rate or looking looking for a loan like that, okay? So what I what, we, what we're going to do is um, we're going to dig into more on strategy,
0: but we're up against a hard break here, so we will start that when we come back. Sounds good. You are listening to HomeWise Radio with the creator and host of the show, Michael Midget. I'm Stout Pontikas. We will be back right after this break. Listening to HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget on News Talk STL. Welcome back to HomeWise Radio. I'm Stel Pontikas and the creator and show of the host is with me, Michael Midget. Michael, let's get back into it, my friend. All right. Stel. so
1: in the first segment, we were talking about we ended on strategy, right? That's the big elephant, pink elephant in the room, if you will. What is it? What do I mean by that? I've never heard of that. I just thought, you know, like the reason people go after interest rate and they and they, and they they go that way, right, is because they don't know what to ask. All right. If they knew what to ask, I'm certain that they would ask better questions. And it's not that that's a bad that asking about interest rates is a bad question. OK, it just doesn't. It's not the most, I guess, the most beneficial place to start. And, um, it's, you know, there are so many other things that affect the cost of the loan besides interest rate, even though interest rate is an important one. Um, what we're really looking to maximize is the outcome as a whole, right? So the outcome of buying the house, all right? Um, the interest rate is a factor on the loan, which affects the cost of the loan, but the outcome of the... Of this scenario as a whole is dependent on more than just the loan by itself, and I like to say it's um, it has to do more with what we're gonna do with the loan. so let me give you an analogy on what I mean by um uh, by strategy. So do you play golf? No, I don't you don't play golf, but pre- pretend that I do, do you play tennis <laughs> uh yes, what okay, so you like tennis yes um well like what's your equipment when you play tennis? What's the most important piece of equipment?
0: It would be the racket. The racket. Okay.
1: Yeah. So in tennis, you have a racket, right? Let's say that you belong mm-hmm.
0: to a country club. No. No? Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pretend that you, <laughs> That's that you fine. belong to the country club, okay? <laughs> and then um, I play golf and tennis. Right,
1: exactly. exactly. You could take up golf. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's say that they're going to have a tournament, mm-hmm. okay? And you really want to win this tournament, all right? And uh, so you play tennis. You're pretty good at it. But if you had to pick one thing that you could have, like either the best tennis racket that you that that is ever made, or um, the best the, shoes, the ability of the best tennis player in that tournament, mm-hmm. which would you
0: pick? You can only pick one. I probably would go with the ability of the, the best ability, player. Of course, yeah, of course. Even though maybe I would switch rackets from Wilson to Prince or something.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? And that is, and there you just, you just summed it all up in one sentence. Mm. The whole, we can just stop and go home now because <laughs> that right there was worth the price of admission. Okay. Mm. Um, first, it's, you'd pick the ability. All right. So the way you swing, the skill, the technique, um, is more
0: important than the racket that you choose because you can overcome the quality of the racket with being a very good player. Right. Yeah. Right. Um and having a bad
1: racket doesn't make you a good player. Correct. Right? So you need to start with being being a good player. But you actually um you actually said something there that was um uh, mind-blowing. Okay. And I don't maybe you didn't even pick up on it, but you said having ability is most important and based on having that ability I might choose a different racket Yes than if I didn't have the ability that's it right there strategy dictates the tools that you would use okay so tools are not good or bad in and of themselves okay so tennis rackets you know there's I'm sure there's lots of different tennis rackets lots of different brands different manufacturers uh, different types, you know, probably, you know, are they tightly strung or exactly strong? How big are they? Where does the, you know, there's a sweet a, spot. It's a sweet spot. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Um, where does that fall inside a thing? How long is it, you know, like does the racket fit you as a person, you know, you're a pretty tall guy. You probably would need a, a long, a larger racket than say someone half your size, mm-hmm. you, you know? Um, I'm not any good at tennis at all. Mm. (laughs) I've never even really tried. Um, I would probably need to use a different, a different racket than you to help compensate or make up for my
0: lack of expertise, skill, or ability. Okay, and on the golf side, it would be the same thing. You would be looking at clubs exactly that are compatible with your ability and and your size. Right.
1: This is a universal. a phenomenon, mm-hmm. this idea of strategy versus picking a tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's why not, that's why it applies here because it applies virtually everywhere. Okay. Um, you know, even in, you know, I was thinking as we were talking near bowling, right? A bowling yeah. ball. Yeah. Yeah. Your strategy with how you bowl and, you know, would dictate what kind of bowling ball you use. Um, you know, and even if you're a NASCAR driver, you know, driver's varying skills, they match the car to the driver for what the driver's skills are. Maybe it's, you know, there's some other way around it. But I, I do know that there is a, uh, teams will go and customize or adjust the environment to fit the talent. All uh-huh. right. Um, you see it in Hollywood a lot. You know, the actor has got to have a special this or a special that or whatever. It's, it's things adjust to the environment around them adjust. So that's the tool fitting to the ability or the strategy of the person, okay? So tools are not bad in and of themselves. There are just certain tools that are right for the job, and there's others that aren't. So the better job you do at matching the tool for the job, the better outcome you're going to get. And in order to do that, you have to know what the job is. So that's the strategy piece that I'm talking about. We start with strategy. That means we ask questions. So we did a whole set. We did a whole show on on questions to assess goals. We did a whole show on goals. Right. What's your goal with this? Are you trying to put a kid through college or yourself through college or uh, do you have a bunch of other debt or do you have no debt? Is this your first house? Is this your last house? Are you moving up? Are you moving down? Are you just trying to move? <laughs> you uh-huh. know, uh-huh. Um, there are all kinds of different people come in all different situations, and those situations call for different approaches to how you might finance a house to optimize it so that it's right, so that it's right for you. And I'm going to illustrate what I exactly what I mean by that um in the third segment today. All right. But um so it's no matter how good the tool is, if it's the wrong tool, then it doesn't matter. Right. So it's strategy first. So. What are you trying to achieve with that? Okay. So, uh, one of the examples that we've talked about before is the, uh, the idea of the wealth builder mortgage. Okay. Um, it's, it's a 20 year loan structure. Okay. That's, that's the feature. That's sort of the concrete product oriented piece of it. Okay. Um, but because of that, um, it greatly increases the rate at which you build equity because it pays down faster. Okay, so that's where we spent the time talking about amortization schedules. When you make payments, payments are comprised of principal and interest. The interest goes in the lender's pocket. The principal goes in your pocket. Well, not exactly in your pocket, but it goes against the balance of the loan. So it turns your home into a piggy bank because the balance is paying down on the loan, which you owe, so your equity is increasing. That value, that contribution to your net worth is increasing over time as you make payments on the loan, even if... Prices don't go up. Value doesn't go up. You're still building equity. So that's what makes owning homes home so powerful, owning real estate so powerful, is remember, you got to live somewhere. So you're either going to rent or you're going to buy. Um, and if you're going to make payments, when you make rent payments, you don't, you know, that's not going in your bank. Okay. Um, when you own, that is going in your bank because you have the loan balance paying down and then you have potential appreciation moving up, those move in opposite directions, what gets created in the middle is the equity. You want to think of it uh, conceptually. So um, with that wealth builder mortgage, the focus becomes bridging the gap between the 20-year payment on the wealth builder and the 30-year payment on the uh, typical Mm -hmm. 30-year, which is the vast majority of mortgages that are taken out. And, you know, so if you're going to... so. Compare this to if you're going to spend your time shopping around trying to get the best interest rate. And who knows if you're getting told the truth or not. Who knows? Who knows? Whether you're looking at the right loan, or you're looking at the wrong loan, or if you're going to get somebody that's going to have an advisory role uh, with it like I would, or if somebody's just looking to close a loan and move on to the next one, right? Um, you don't know where you're, where you fall when, you know, when you're, you know, when you're looking at that, you could take that same time and figure out how you're going to bridge a gap between those, between the 20 and 30 year payment. Um, even if you had, and now 20 years are generally, uh, lower interest rate than 30 years, but even if the 20 year had a, for some reason, let's just say you did a terrible job at, pay, at picking your uh, professional provider or your lender, um, that the 20-year had a higher interest rate on it, it would still build equity faster and in the long run be less expensive than the 30-year loan, okay? So we want to focus on how we how we bridge that gap and that becomes the focus. That becomes the, essentially what, what becomes the strategy, all right? So another example that we've talked about are the buy-downs, okay? Temporary version and the permanent version, okay? Okay. So the temporary version, um, I think it, you know, it's very popular right now. I think partially it's very popular because it gets misexplained and people view it as getting a lower rate on, on, on the loan, which actually technically is not true. The payment reduction you experience as a subsidy, you're essentially borrowing money to make payments with. Because if you didn't take the buy down, which generally is funded by the seller, um, theoretically, you would be able to buy the house for less because that money's coming out of the seller's pocket. If they didn't, if you weren't setting it aside in the form of the buy down, you just take a lower sale price or a lower loan amount and then you'd have a lower payment and you start off with more equity and all of that. So the temporary buy down in and of itself is not a strategy built in side of it, but you could use it of another strategy if you came up with utilize uh, those funds that are being borrowed for a better purpose than just, you know, subsidizing a payment moving forward. Um, now, there's also the permanent version of that, which is the one I like better, okay? Mm-hmm. That you're using the uh, the concession of the buy-down money from, in this case, we'll, we'll call it a seller buy-down, okay? Um, you're using that money to actually purchase a lower interest rate on the loan, right? So it's interest paid up front on the loan goes to reduce the interest rate that needs to be charged over the term of the loan to equate that loan's value to another loan that didn't have that same feature or strategy built into it, okay? Um, and by the way, it's the same loan. It just has to do with the way that it's structured and built and put together, um, which is in the realm of what the loan originator or my role my role does for that, okay? So- um, In the seller buy down version of that, the seller is contributing money on behalf of the buyer to permanently buy down that interest rate. Okay. Um, you could also have a lender buy down. Less popular, but, um, technically it is possible. Um, essentially, so here's a way I like to, you know, I like to explain this, which essentially every time I close a loan, this is what's, this is what's happening. Okay. Now, it's not happening because you'll see me contribute money back to the closing the same way that a seller does, and it ends up being a line item on there. Um, my buy-down, so to speak, is built into the, the very foundation of the loan, okay? So um, because of the way I have my company set up, I've set it up to be very run-off than margins, right? very efficient. Uh, We're small. We don't have a lot of excess costs. You know, I don't have a big building. I don't have a big staff. I don't have um, all those things that cost so much money. That allows me to uh, incur a lower cost when I put a loan together. I take that reduced cost, those savings, and I pass it along to the buyer, to the borrower in this case. Okay. So in other words, When you ask me, well, Mike, you always say you can get a better loan than the next, a better rate than the next guy, right? How do you do that? Well, that's one of the main ways that I do that, okay? So if I were charging more, I would have to build more into the cost structure. And in order to compensate for that, I would have to charge more, charge a higher interest rate, okay? But I've chosen to not do that. Okay, so I work off of, off, off of a lower, it's called comp, compensation. When I do that, I don't have to build in all those costs. And so when I look at, when, you, when all those calculations come down in the system, I've referred to the system before, it's the thing I use to put my loans together in. Um, when it equates out what, what interest rate needs to be charged based on the way I have the loan structured, it comes out to be a lower number than it would if I were charging more. So, um, I mean, I guess I could go and I could charge you more, and then I could turn around and artificially discount it back to show it to you, coming back to you, and oh wow, look look what he's doing, right? But um, well, I, sometimes lenders will do that. Um, now, actually, I said um, I said I could do that. I can't do that, all right? Because of the way I'm structured, I'm structured as a mortgage broker, mm. all right? Um, we can't structure a loan like that, okay? We have to pick a fixed price, and that's what we charge. That's what everybody gets charged. It doesn't matter if you're well-qualified or very, very barely, very barely qualified. If it's a big loan, a little loan, whatever. It, it's all the same, right? We don't get to pick and choose. So we just have to choose, are you going to be competitive or not? And I've just chosen to be competitive. So um, bottom line on all that is it equates out into – um, ending up with a lower with a lower interest rate. Right? So it's a very efficient uh, cost structure. It's a very efficient loan bill, loan structure. And because of that, I'm able to get away with, if that's what you want to call it, um, charging a lower rate. Mm-hmm. And those savings get passed straight on, straight on to the
0: buyer. You're listening to HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. I'm Stel Pontekas, and we will be back right after this break.
1: To HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget on News Talk STL.
0: Welcome back to HomeWise Radio. I'm Stal Ponticus, and I'm joined by the creator and host of the show, Michael Midget. And uh, we're heading into the home stretch here, Michael. We are. So uh, continue the conversation here. This is fascinating stuff. We are, we are. Um, all about strategy, right? Yeah, and can talk
1: for days on this. So it's one of the hardest things about. And I didn't uh, before I got involved in this and bit off this big chunk um i never for the life of me would have thought that i would have too much to tell right too much to tell versus not enough to tell because in your mind you're always thinking like i mean how many ways could you say something how many how much how much could you actually say about something and uh never fails I always prepare somewhat a little bit, have an outline of what I'm going to, what I'm going to talk about. And I always think like, I don't have enough. And then we turn out and we, sometimes we don't get through it all. So mm-hmm. um, that it just, that just strikes me in the moment there. Um, so maybe I need a better strategy on how to, okay, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be um, another show. Exactly. Exactly. Um So, before we move on okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna share um a third strategy today right okay uh but but before we do i want to there's something i just want to make sure that we're that is coming out that you know you know is making sense to everybody for this is that um the strategies they come in different flavors right so there are um what I call conceptual strategies, concepts like ideas. So for example, the wealth builder is a conceptual strategy. Okay. It, it's, it's something that produces, um, an an outsized outcome, like a larger or extraordinary outcome where normally an ordinary and an extraordinary outcome doesn't, doesn't exist. Okay. So it's a, it's a big idea. All right. So, Wealth builder tends to fall into that category. Um, then I also have, and by the way, the the third one I'm going to show here, show to you here, um, is more conceptual than anything as well. So this will fall into that category also. But there's another category um, that I call technical strategies. Okay. That has to do with the, you know, the twisting of dials and the flipping of levers I refer to uh, when I say when we're structuring a loan. So... Um, the buy-down strategy falls into the technical the technical uh, type of that, okay? So the reason I distinguish between the two is because when it comes to, there are certain strategies that might not be stackable, okay? So if two strategies, you know, like for example, if you're going to, like if you want to apply the wealth builder strategy, But at the same time, you wanted to employ a strategy that, uh, minimized down payment so that you'd keep more of your, uh, liquid cash in your possession and you were going to put that into an investment. Like maybe you're going to increase your 401k or, uh, put in some type of a, you know, um, an after tax investment account or something and, grow the money that way instead of trying to grow it and grow it in equity. Okay. That is a strategy. Your hair might've just stood up on your arm when I started talking about that. And that's (laughs) the reason, you know, it's not right for everybody. Okay.
0: Or could you take some of that excess and put it towards the principal of the loan? Can you do that too, to help bring down the, right, you could, that would be in the form of
1: like, if you did it when you close, then it would be in the form of down payment. But it, but you could do it like if you, you know, if you already had a loan and you had a, uh, and you had a lump sum of cash, you could put it down, you could put it down on the loan. There's arguments for and against that. Okay?
0: I mean, like, putting in maybe $100 extra per month for, for a stretch of months so that you can help the loan come, come down. Yep, you can do that too.
1: And that's essentially, you know, if you start to peel this stuff, if you start to peel this stuff back as you peel back the layers and the layers and the layers, eventually you're going to get down to the bedrock foundational layer on all of this stuff. And that, that, what you described there is, um, when you peel that down to the bottom layer there, I mean that's the difference between the wealth builder and another and a hmm. and, and the thirty year version because you could have they could both be fixed rate loans they could both be I mean the same loan in every you know in in every way in every aspect yeah in, in every aspect except for the the term mm-hmm. right a term change would affect a payment change that term change that payment change you put that together that's what. You know, the, the outcome or the, 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 uh, the way that works is that the loan's gonna pay down faster. Okay? And then you get the benefit that I attach to when I, so that's what I mean when I say, when I say wealth builder. Okay. So the wealth builder on the 20 year term has that forced prepayment. But you could do the same thing if you took out a 30 year loan and wanted to put that extra 100 or 200 or 300 or whatever it is and you get virtually the same outcome. Okay? And in fact, you would get the exact same outcome if all of the variables were exactly the same except for the term, okay? Um, but when you do it that way, so you can get there mathematically, but you're with it since it's not a forced prepayment, sometimes people won't, can, won't stick with that, right? kind of like it's difficult to stick with diets it's mm-hmm. difficult to stick mm-hmm. with <laughs> exercise schedules and you know mm-hmm. you know and things like that doesn't make you a bad person doesn't make you a good person doesn't make a thirty year loan a a bad loan it doesn't make a twenty year loan a great loan in and of itself it all has to do with where are you trying to get to what resources do you have to get there and where are you where are you now and if you have unexpected finding or unexpected
0: uh, situations come up
1: well right so the twenty year would you know, uh, commit you yes. to making that higher payment. Whereas if you had the 30 year loan and the lower payment, you would have some liquid cash that you could hold back from, from time to time, uh-huh. um, if, if you needed to. Okay. So, and it just, you know, the strategies are the way you employ them, they're always forward looking, right? So virtually everything in my business is forward looking. Um, are you going to be able to, you know, Stick with the strategy that we that we put in place are the assumptions that we're making when we decide which strategy to use. Do those continue to be true into the future? Right. So there's an element of strategy is the outcome that we're trying to uh, produce and through an analysis we're trying to predict. OK, but we also have to account for what happens when things go sideways. What happens if we don't hit our mark? What happens if, and then fill in the blank with whatever bad thing might happen or whatever might sidetrack you. Yeah, if a medical if you, emergency yeah, or something if comes up. you can't up. stick with this, sure. what happens, mm-hmm. right? And so you have, to balance, you have to balance those out. And a lot of times it comes down to additional resources that somebody has. So, you know, I would not say, hey, do the wealth builder, take, take the shorter term loan even though... When you just look at the house in and of itself, by itself, equity by itself, right? Um, if you, you know, you have to consider the rest of the financial picture around it also. It may not turn out to be the best decision for you. So if a 20-year makes it tight, and it's tight, like, I mean, like, really tight, like you're scrimping just, and you can just barely- Make the payments. Barely get across the line. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the prospects for increased income later on down the road, mm-hmm. so that you're in this scrimping and like hoarding phase perpetually, you know, <laughs> indefinitely with the loan. That might make it a bad decision. In fact, I can tell you that would throw caution to me. I would, I would struggle putting you into that as an advisor mm-hmm. you know, when I'm playing my advisory role. So, um, you got to uh, you got to be careful with that. Um, so that third strategy that we were talking about, um, been hinting at is called the debt consolidation purchase. Whoa, what's that? <laughs> sounds kind of cool. Um, it is, it is really cool. So, um, think of it this way. It comes down to resource allocation. How much money do you have or do you want to put towards a purchase of your home? OK, so if you remember back when we were talking about the show on strategies and the asking of questions, this is one of the first questions uh, that you asked is actually to how long are you going to spend uh, in the loan or in the home and how much do you have to put toward it? OK, so this question, when it breaks down into how much do you have to put toward it? Uh, I'm specifically looking at down payment. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's say you were making a 20 percent down payment on a house. Right? It's a significant down payment. It sure is. Right? Yeah. Um, it's also the one that some people believe you have to have that mm. to get in, which you don't. Some people believe that if you don't have that, then you get a bad loan. And that's not, necessar- not necessarily true either. Okay. Um, in fact, sometimes, <laughs> especially with the new LLPAs coming out, the 20% down loan is likely going to be a higher interest rate than the 5 or 10% down version of that. Okay weird i it' i i don't have I don't have words for it it doesn't make sense to me why why they would do that, but they are so um but it will fuel um, this strategy that we're going to lay out so it's part of the reason for me bringing this up now
0: because even on a three hundred thousand dollar home you're looking at a down payment then of sixty correct sixty yeah at at twenty percent yeah which isn't easy these days.
1: Right. Well, if it's your first home, it's you might have saved that up. But hopefully that would, so, yes. That, that would be a lot of that would be a lot of savings. Sure would. First time home buyers typically have a much lower initial down payment. Mm-hmm. But if it's your second or third or maybe even your fourth home, mm-hmm. um, we'll routinely put that much down. Um, in fact uh, I don't know what exactly what the number something like the average for second home for your second home purchase and on those buyers, it's somewhere between 15 and 20% is the average down payment. Okay. Which, you know, basically a lot of them are putting down 20%. And then there's some of them that are putting down almost 20. There used to be right now, as we sit today, there's a strategy you can employ. um, I used to do it all the time where you put 15 down um, and then we would work it into 20. Like I, I can make the mortgage insurance essentially go away where you're not, where you're not, Paying that on a monthly basis, okay. you're massaging it, sort of. You could say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's that strategy is going to go away. So it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I'm not talking about it because it will. Um, May is when those new LLPA's come out. Ah, Loans okay. have to be dated. They have to close. You know, there's there are um, technicals with the timing on on those, but pretty much any loan that gets originated now is going to be originated under those new mm. circumstances. So if you're out shopping right now and you have a quote, you haven't had it updated recently, uh, or you haven't had this conversation with your loan officer, you might want to have it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, same goes true for the FHA thing also is, um, if you got a quote a while ago, or maybe you have mm. a loan and it's in process or whatever, if you haven't closed yet, even if you're closing tomorrow, um, the, the new mortgage insurance doesn't go into effect tomorrow, but it goes into effect on March 20th for loans delivered after March 20th, which is roughly a week from now. Okay, um, even though it's closing prior to that date, it doesn't goes by the loan date or the the date the loan is funded. It goes by the date it's delivered to HUD. So your lender could sit on it for a week if they had to, which most lenders don't turn a loan that fast anyway. Um, you just want to make sure that you're getting the lower the lower MIP amount. So if you don't know, ask because it could be significant, all right? Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> and it's always good to ask questions. Yeah. But let's go back to that $300,000 purchase with the $60,000 down payment that you're talking about. And let's say that you had $30,000 in debt also, mm-hmm. right? So how do you do a debt consolidation purchase? Well, you just don't put 20% down anymore. Okay, okay. So on a three hundred thousand dollar purchase, if you were putting twenty down, you had thirty thousand in debt. What if you only put ten thousand down, and had only put thirty thousand into it? So you had the extra thirty thousand left over compared to if you were going to put the twenty percent down, and instead use that thirty thousand to pay off, let's call it credit card debt. Mm-hmm. So thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt could be anywhere from six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month in. Um, monthly payments associated with that amount of credit card debt, your loan amount is going to go up and we'll just, let's just call it 30,000 for around even numbers here. Um, Your mortgage payment isn't going to go up by six, seven or $800 by borrowing an extra $30,000, even if you're paying mortgage insurance on that. Okay. So it's a more, it's a, let's just call it a higher rate loan when you factor in the PMI. All right. Um, so it fails the rate test. So oh, I didn't get the lowest rate I could. Okay. Hmm. But when you look at the loan as a whole, as a strategy, employing this strategy in the purchase of the home, after it's all said and done, after you've closed on the home and you've paid off the 30,000 in credit card debt, you have that subtracted out of your monthly bills. You have the smaller additional amount added in for the larger mortgage, but you there's a net gain there. And depending on exactly how much, I mean, we're probably talking half, easily half, right? So if it was 700 uh, credit card payments and, you know, maybe the mortgage goes up 300, $350 a month, you're still that's – a, that's a big savings, right? Um, so that's nice to come into a house with that um, you might want to do some work to. And so you, now you don't have to take out debt in order to do that work might be able to pay for that along the way, okay? But what if, so now for the trifecta, okay? What if you fell into this category and you were looking for, you yeah, know, I really like that wealth builder, but I just can't bridge that payment gap, all right? You got the buy-down strategy. You can stack on top of that. You could also stack that consolidation purchase, On top of that. So, even though it's a conceptual type strategy, also, like I started this segment saying, you could still stack those two. So, you could use the wealth builder loan and do debt consolidation, resource reallocation at closing to take out credit, to wipe out credit card debt, take a little bit higher mortgage amount, which if you've taken out the higher mortgage, but you've got the wealth builder, it's going to pay down faster anyway. Right. So, you know, when you crunch all the numbers on this, it's impossible to do on the radio. Like, even if you were watching here, I could do it with a whiteboard and your head would still spin around. You're right, you like, you wouldn't get it. OK, I mean, it takes face to face like it takes it <clears throat> takes time to really get the understanding there. Right. Because when you start to put numbers to all of this, um, that's where you start to lose people. OK, so you just. I mean, I'm happy to do the analysis. If you think you fall into this or fit into this, I'll work it out. You got to work it out anyway. There is no, none of this is off the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. It's all custom and all that. There's no extra cost for it. Because remember, it's flat cost, no matter good loan, bad loan, you know, good credit, bad credit, low credit, like we don't have bad credit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever your qualification is, whatever kind of loan it is, it's all, it's all the same. Um, it's just one of the value adds that I have for, for uh, working with me. All right. So, um you might use this all three of these together to walk away from the thing with a lower cost structure than you would have if he had gone somewhere else and just took the 20% down 30 year loan. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty amazing.
0: So um, what do you think about that? Well you have to figure in other aspects too, and I understand you've got a lot of numbers to deal with, closing costs, repairs, et cetera, stuff that needs to be done. If you're purchasing, you know going in, well, I'm gonna have to do such and such because the seller isn't gonna do those repairs on that section of the roof, so we're gonna have right. to take care of that. You try to work all of this out and you're right, you've got yeah. a lot of numbers that you're throwing yep. Yep. you're throwing, you're putting together. You're not yep. throwing them together, but you're putting them together, trying to figure out what's best right. for Yep. For you right. as you're making the. Uh,
1: and so that's when we're. Um, that's when I do the analysis. Hmm. All right. So um, you can get a hold of me. Um, my mortgage website's goshelter.com. You can call me 314 275 0314. You can also get us here at homewiseradio.com. Always um,
0: reach out. That's what I'm here for. Ask questions. And uh, folks need to realize that you've got the expertise and take advantage of, of your wisdom and and years in the business. So that's, that's the, the big positive of of being able to work with you, which is great. Well, thanks for all the information here on this edition of the show. It's been fun. It's been a, a learning, a learning, uh, experience for me, just kind of putting this all together. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. And, uh, that wraps up this edition of HomeWise Radio. I'm Style Ponticus, and uh, you've been listening to the host of the show, Michael Midget. And, Michael, it's been fun. We'll do it again next week, my friend. I agree, Style. Thank you. Loans and loan information provided by Shelter Mortgage, Inc. Visit us at GoShelter.com and MLS number 192609. A Missouri residential mortgage licensee and equal housing lender. Call 888-497-2558 for additional cost information. Other restrictions may apply.